Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us at the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ um, through our website at godsredeemed.org. Um, we appreciate you for joining us, especially given, given the current circumstances here in the world. Um, we pray that you all are doing well and that we find you in good health. And we especially pray that we find you in good spiritual health in these, in these difficult times. Um, unprecedented times. That's a phrase that we've been hearing a lot lately. Um, unprecedented times, unprecedented circumstances. And I've been thinking about that phrase a lot lately. And I just looked up the definition. What does unprecedented mean? And it's defined as without previous instance, never before known or experienced. Um, now, the current circumstances we're in, I'm not sure that they necessarily follow that definition to a T, but that's a debate for another day. But it got me thinking about what are, what are some examples we see throughout the scriptures of people who truly faced unprecedented times, and how did they deal with those things? Um, as we have been studying in, on our Sunday morning Bible class online, uh, we're studying through the book of Acts, and as we, we look at the different deeds recorded within that book, um, there's a lot of things where people had to deal with new circumstances. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later in this lesson. Um, but first, first example I want to look at is, look at Noah. We're going to look at several examples, um, all fairly familiar to us, but I want us to think about how they had to deal with unique circumstances and how they had to overcome those and what were the results of that. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 6 and look at Noah. Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to read starting in verse 17. And there it says, um, and behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from heaven, um, from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. This, of course, is the Lord speaking to Noah. And think about it from Noah's perspective. To our knowledge, Rain was not something that had been seen here on the earth at that time. Um, just to give you a little perspective on the timeline, Noah, he was, he was about 16, 1700 years after creation. The world had been around for a while. Never before had mankind seen rain to our knowledge. Never had they seen a worldwide flood. We haven't seen one since then. And it's something for us, it's kind of hard for us to wrap our mind around what that might be like. But here's God saying, look, this has never happened before, but it's going to happen. Now here's how I want you to deal with it. Here's how I want you to handle it. And so Noah had to rise to the occasion if he wanted to successfully overcome that obstacle that was coming. Now let's turn to chapter 9. Kind of see the results of Noah's faith. Chapter 9 and beginning of verse 12. God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you uh, for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be um, for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And it shall be that when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in that cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again uh, become a flood to destroy all flesh. So because Abraham, or not Abraham, because Noah had that faith and he did what God told him to do, even in these unprecedented circumstances, 
We see, first of all, that the whole, through him the whole earth was repopulated. And we see a covenant between him and between God and between his descendants. Another example of someone who had to deal with very unique circumstances is Moses. Moses had to deal with lots of things. But the one that stands out the most in my mind is the example of the Red Sea and the crossing. So let's turn to Exodus 14. Exodus 14, and we're going to start in verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forth, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And indeed, uh, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So God tells Moses to do something that had never been done before. They have this great obstacle, the Red Sea, and he tells him um, to have faith, to outstretch that rod, and he will deliver his people. Uh, that took a lot of faith on, on Moses' part, and we see the reason for it was for deliverance for his people, and also that God may be known and may be glorified, it says in verse 18. And we see in chapter 14 and verse 30 and 31 that they were delivered. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So they had that respect, that fear, that reverence for God, and they believed him. And we see it, didn't, it wasn't just contained to the Israelites. And we look in Joshua chapter 2. We fast forward a little bit, and we see the impact that this had. Joshua 2 and verse 8. This is where the, um, the spies are sent out by Joshua into Jericho, and they're with Rahab, a uh, resident of Jericho. And in verse 8, we see her perspective. Now before, uh, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who are on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage and anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God of heaven above and on the earth beneath. This is the impact that God and his power had, not just on the people of Israel, but people all around, all the way up into the land of Canaan, because of these unprecedented circumstances that God was able to deliver his people. And one last example I wanna look at is Jesus. And there's a lot of examples we could look at with Jesus on this topic, but I wanna to turn to John 11. And look at the example where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 11. And we look, starting in verse 3. Starting in verse 3, we see it says, Therefore the sisters sent to him, that's Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. So right off the bat, we see the purpose behind this event is that 
God and His Son may be glorified. And we see how Jesus kind of interacted with, um, with diff different individuals, how this how the circumstance of this very sorrowful occasion affected him. Uh, let's look at verse 33. Um, it says, Therefore Jesus saw her weeping, that is Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who had died, and the Jews who came were weeping with her, and he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, He wept, and the Jews said, See how he loved him. This is interesting perspective to me. These circumstances aren't necessarily easy ones in these examples, and even the ones we're dealing with today. They're not necessarily easy, and during these hard times, it's okay for us to feel emotion over it. Uh, sometimes that's almost taboo in, amongst the Christian community, like it's as if it's a sign of a lack of faith or weakness to be emotional over hard circumstances, but look at Jesus. Jesus felt emotion. He felt sorrow over the loss of his friend. He felt sorrow when he saw the pain and the suffering that those he loved were going through, and he was the son of God, and he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he knew that, and yet he still felt that sorrow. Um, just gives us some perspective as we deal with hard times. And then finally, in verse 39 and 40, we see what became of this instance. Um, verse 39, um, Jesus says, take away the stone, and Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time, there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? A couple things about this. What makes this circumstance so unprecedented? We have examples in the Bible, even before this, where individuals um, had died and been risen from the dead. But one thing that makes this circumstance really stand out, one is just the personal connection Jesus had to it. But also... Um, this fact that he had been dead for a long time, several days. There wasn't a question on if he was dead or not. Um, he was 100% dead. He, he wasn't just partially dead or mostly dead. He was completely dead. And no question about that. And Jesus was still able to raise him up. And once again, we see the purpose behind it. It says that they might see the glory of God. That's one takeaway I want us to get from, from this topic. When we see unprecedented times, when we follow what God tells us to do, He's glorified from, by it and we benefit from it. And that's a, that's a good lesson to take away from it. Now, as I said before, in, in the book of Acts, for, for example, the apostles had to deal with a lot of unique circumstances. And I want to talk a little bit now about some of those, those challenges those unprecedented challenges that they had to face and what helped them deliver, um, be able to overcome those challenges. And in short, one answer for that is the Holy Spirit, this helper that Jesus had promised them. Let's turn to John chapter 14. In John 14, several of these chapters right through here in John, um, starting I think in chapter 13, they're all in the context of him addressing his twelve. Um, it's around the time of Passover, they're all together, and it's the 12 apostles and Jesus, and he's talking to them. And he starts talking about what's going to happen once he's no longer with them, and what are they going to do. And John 14, starting in verse 12, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater, uh, greater also. Let's see, is that the verse I want? Yeah, okay. 
and uh, verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, and that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. And I will not leave you, I will come to you. He talks about this, this helper, this spirit of truth that was to come and help them. Um, he mentions how there's a lot of things he really wanted to, to teach them, um, but he didn't have time to deal with all those different things. And so this, this spirit, this Holy Spirit, spirit of truth would help them and guide them. And we see that coming, coming to fruition when we look at Acts chapter 2. If we turn over to Acts chapter 2, we see where the Holy Spirit does come, as Jesus had promised, to help the apostles. And this again, if you look in verse 26 of chapter 1, we see in the context, this is dealing with the 12 apostles. And then in Acts chapter 2, is the day of Pentecost in verse 1. They're all in one place. In verse 2, there suddenly came a sound from heaven as a rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there... Uh, appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we see here that the apostles did receive that helper, the Holy Spirit. And then we see the results of, of the, the wonders and the inspired teachings of the apostles. In Acts chapter 2, um, we see Peter primarily, but we know the other apostles as well. They all spoke in tongues. They all preached and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we see the results of what happened with that when we look at verse 41. It says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day there were about 3,000 souls who were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So we see the apostles doing many great things, and we see the result of that is many people were saved. Many were added to them through this and through their work in the Holy Spirit. And then let's look at the example of Paul, and we'll see what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 13. If we think about Paul, he himself was an apostle by very unprecedented circumstances. Um, and let's see what he has to say in verse 13. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, um, but with the Holy, which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things to the spiritual. This whole chapter here deals with um, a lot about the Holy Spirit. It's a good chapter to go back and read and learn about spiritual wisdom and what Paul has to say about it. But he's saying there that, that what he had to say as an apostle and the words he taught, they came through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And finally, I want to talk about how God's standard, our precedent, how it is complete as a result. Um, the Holy Spirit's role was to reveal which, that which was unknown. And we see that. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 now. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is a well-known chapter to a lot of people. Um, it's the chapter that talks about love. Love is long, uh, suffers long, it's kind, it's patient, does not envy. 
And what's the context of this? If we look back in chapter 12 of this, we see the context of it is these Corinthian brethren here, they had been blessed by the Holy Spirit. They had many spiritual gifts, such as prophecy and other miraculous things that they had received from the Holy Spirit. And they had a lot of divisions as a result. Different people had different gifts. They thought their gifts were more important than others. And there's a lot of division. That's what led Paul to write this chapter about dealing with love and dealing with unity. But let's look at what he says in starting in verse 8. Um, he talks about what the purpose of those gifts were. In verse 8, starting, it says, Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. The purpose of these spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit's role in, in these people's lives was to fill in the gaps that the unknown. He says, we know in part and we prophesy in part. So in other words, they didn't have a full revelation of God like we do today. Um, they had part of it, they knew parts of it, and where they didn't have that revelation, the Holy Spirit was able to provide them um, with, with filling in the gaps. And it says, whenever the perfect has come, so when they had the, whenever the complete perfect Word of God came along, they would no longer have a need for the Holy Spirit in that role. They would no longer have need for these gifts that he had through this prophecy. And, and when we look at ver uh, first, or not first, Colossians, the only Colossian letter, and chapter one and verse 26, Paul talking about the word of God, he refers to it as a mystery that has been revealed. Verse 26 says, it's the mystery that has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints. It's this idea that at one point in time, the things that God wanted for us in his plan, they were mysterious. We didn't understand them. We didn't know them. But this mystery has been revealed to his saints. We have it now. We have that complete work of God. Um, First Timothy, he talks about it as well. So we look over in First Timothy chapter 3. First Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, says, These things I write to you, Though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. And without controversy, great is the, my the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the spirit, just, er, manifested in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world and received up in glory. This mystery has been revealed to us that we might know how we ought to conduct ourselves. Um, so we have this spiritual, this biblical precedent that has been revealed to us that we might know how we conduct ourselves. And we know, um, he also says in his second letter to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, a well-known passage to us is that all scripture has been given to us, it's been inspired by God, it's been breathed by God, and it's profitable for us, it leads us to do good works. Uh, we have this word, we have God's standard before us today. So in conclusion, we have a precedent, it's God's precedent that's been revealed to us, and we have to abide by it. 
Um, let's turn to Acts chapter 7. And let's look at an example of someone who didn't look to God and his precedent. Acts chapter 7. This is um, a sermon that was presented by Stephen to the Jews. And as a result of this sermon, he was immediately executed by the Jews because they did not like what he had to say. But let's look at what he had to say about the Jews and about the coming of the Christ. And starting in verse 51, this is the conclusion of this sermon. And he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and not kept it. They had a precedent. They should have known that Christ was coming. They knew that someone was coming, and Jesus said that he would not leave before all prophecies about him would be fulfilled. He fulfilled those prophecies says their fathers, they persecuted the, the prophets who prophesied about him, and they in turn betrayed and murdered the Christ. They rejected what had been told. They betrayed and murdered the Christ, and they will be judged accordingly for it. Now we've got to look at ourselves. We have a biblical standard. We have a precedent, and we've got to make sure we don't fall in that same category as the Jews did. Um, I want to leave you by reminding you of what Paul had to say to Timothy about the matter. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and let's look at verse 15 and 16. He's talking about all this that he's been leading up to in, the, in this book, all this different doctrine, all, these, all this wisdom that Paul has, has addressed towards Timothy. And he says in verse 15, Meditate on these things, Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. We may be living in, quote-unquote, unprecedented times, but when it comes to the spiritual matters, when it comes to what God says is important, we have a precedent, we have a standard, and we need to be meditating and, and continuing in God's standard and look at the conclusion. We save both ourselves and we save others. If you find yourself and you, you start looking at your own life and you realize that you're in a position where you haven't been abiding by God's standard, um, if there's any way that we can help you um, here at this, at this congregation, if we can study with you, if we can pray for you, if there's any way we can help you, or if perhaps you haven't even started abiding by that standard, you haven't even become a Christian yet, if there's any way that we can help you, we encourage you, please reach out to us, and we'd love to sit down and talk to you. Thank you for listening.